stream and those that could be here it's it's a privilege to be able to come to his house amen david said i was glad and we really ought to be able to say that like never before i was glad when they said unto me this is your service you can be there (laughs) amen amen i was thinking last week my my brother was here ministering and then i got this sunday and brother red got in the middle and you know my brother came into the office this morning and mentioned how handsome brother ed was looking now with having lost as much as my son in weight. And, and uh, he'd probably never been referred to this before, but he's like the rose between two thorns, stuck in between my brother and I. But, uh, hey, man, how many enjoyed the service on Wednesday? Amen. I sure did, and it was good, even just a little video at the end. And as always, just brings something to a believer's heart, you know, to know that there's something more to this season than just a few gifts and a few... Merry Christmases and things. Those things are all real nice and wonderful, but this is a celebration of the greatest gift that we could ever have, that God sent Messiah. God sent a way. He, oh, man, brought the plan of redemption to life. Amen. Amen. It's good to be a Christian. I woke up this morning. Those were my first words to my wife. Yeah, good to be a Christian. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Sorry to keep you standing up here through my rambling. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Take our Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Might be a Christmas text, but not really a Christmas message. I'm not very good at Christmas messages. I just preach what the Lord lays on my heart. So hope that doesn't disappoint you. But we will mention Mary, and we will mention Jesus, and we will mention Joseph, and, you know, so you could call it a Christmas message. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And the taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we truly, we love you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't just stay up in heaven and hope that one day we'd catch something. But Lord, you came and paid the price yourself, Lord, and you humbled yourself to come down even just in the womb of a virgin and to be birthed, oh God, as each one of us were birthed. But Lord, many of us had a nice hospital room. You were laid in a little manger, hay wrapped in a sweaty old swaddling cloth. But Lord, it didn't matter the circumstances or the things surrounding. It was God come down to man. 
Brother Branham would say it's the greatest unity that ever took place, that God and man became one. Father, how we love you so much, Lord. And we're just in awe, Lord, that you would care so much for your creation, Lord Jesus, that you would come to be a part of it, Lord, that it wouldn't just be like the old creation, but a new creation. Lord, that we too could be born into the new creation, Lord. We wouldn't have to just stay and be a part of this whole flesh and this whole sinful world. But, Lord, you made a way that we could step up into higher ground. Father, we want, to, Lord, to just open our hearts this morning and receive what you have for us. Lord, we ask that you just come and take the simple words that are spoken. Make it real, Father. Pour out a special blessing, Lord, to those that are streaming in, Lord. To those that have taken the time in their own homes, Lord, to sit around and to sanctify this time, Lord, to gather around this little screen and say, Lord, welcome to my home. Yes. Father, would you bless them this morning? Lord, would you, those that have come and taken the time to come here, Lord, in this holiday season where maybe there's many things we'd rather just be relaxing in our flesh, but Lord, there's something inside of us that wants to come into your house, to come and worship, to raise our hands again to you and to praise, to thank you for this time. And Lord, we ask you just come, for Father, it'll all be in vain if you don't. But Lord, we thank you. You said if wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you'd be there in the midst of them. So, Lord, we hold to your word, knowing that it will never pass away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. I want to just take a subject this morning and, and say it this way as a title, While the World Was Under Taxation. While the world was under taxation. And take it from this little text of... We find in the time of, of, of Mary and Joseph, and there came a great taxation. And it even seemed, if you even look back in history, I begin to look back because the next verse, in, in verse 2 of Luke chapter 2, it says that the tax, taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. If you go back in history in the Roman documents and things, they, they said there's really no record of a taxation at this specific time, whether their calendar's accurate or not, but... But really, they were coming together. They didn't have to pay taxes in their hometown, but they had to come for a census for the purpose of taxation, to come back to their own down hometown to say, yes, my name is Joseph, and I've espoused to this wife, and we're up here in Nazareth. This is where we are, and really put their name on the book. And there wasn't an option. They couldn't say, you know what, I don't want to take part in it. Like today, we get it in the mail. You know, you get a census in the mail, and, you know, you can just throw it in the garbage if you want. Or they're still going to send you your taxes. They're still going to bill you. But back then you had to come, and there was no choice. If you didn't have a census, there was a penalty for it, I'm sure. But they had to come and do these things, and it wasn't a popular thing. But Brother Branham will just take it where Brother Branham would say, and he'd say, you know, we noticed that on this great taxation, the king gave forth his rule or his order. All the people would turn to their birthplace regardless. Now it looked like a horrible thing. That poor little woman... Speaking of Mary, in that place she was in heavy with child and would have to take the long journey. Today we could hardly think of taking her in an ambulance. Oh, I know about that. But she had to. 
And if you was ever in Palestine and see where she had to come through, that rugged granite boulders up through there on the back of a little mule, no matter how bad it was and how cruel it seemed, that was the king's orders. Everybody must do it, young or old, prepared or not prepared. They have to do it anyhow. That was the law. The decree had gone forth from Caesar Augustus. That was the ruler, the, the, the emperor at the time. And the law had gone forth. You must come back to your home or your birthplace. You must come and do these things. And Mary and Joseph, I find it amazing. They, you know, they didn't get all up. The Bible doesn't record. They got all up in themselves. They, Don't you know what's going on? Don't you know I'm nine months pregnant? Don't you know who, what's happening and I can't do these things? They could have said, don't you know? And I, I'm the conceiving virgin. Don't you know I've been called to a higher order? Don't you know? Are you with me now? Don't you realize that it's Emmanuel in my womb? You want me to take this journey on the back of a mule, or maybe even walking, but Brother Bram said on a mule, and he said it was about a 90-mile journey. About a week it would take them to get from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. But the government, they could say, you got no right to force me to do what I don't want to do. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? They could ride in the streets. They could light things on fire. They could say whatever they wanted. But the government said, you got to do this, so you got to go do it. It said the world was under a taxation. They were put into a law that they didn't have a choice, whether it seemed terrible, whether it seemed fine, whether it was no problem for that individual, whether this individual was struggling with it. It didn't matter to the government. They said, this is the law, and you're going to do it. So no, they, they, they didn't get all, all, all worked up. They just packed up their things and they went. No matter how hard and how cruel it seemed, it was the body of God created in her. And the taxation that history would record was hugely unpopular with the people. Nobody at that time, the Jews especially, to them it was a mockery to them because they were always ruled for so many centuries by an outside ruler. And there was such a mockery to them that they thought, why, why do we have to do these things? To them it was a terrible burden. That they would have to come and they would have to do these things because they, they knew that under their, their law that this was the land given to their father Abraham and that it was a sovereign land and they, 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 they were lived, they were a called out people, they were different than everybody else. So why should they have to be ruled by this? It was, a, it was a time of great taxation, it was unpopular, but there was nothing they could do to fight it. They had been conquered. Brother Branham says in the message, we've seen a star and have come to worship him. He says, sometimes we think that our burdens, he says, we think our burdens are so heavy that sometimes that there's nothing like it in the world. You know, all these things are for your good. He says, they're all to mold you, to make you. He says, prophets and sages were molded on the backside of the desert in the hot blazing sun through tribulations and trials and persecutions and those things. Now, I know today we certainly don't have any hot blazing sun. Right? We're in the middle of winter. Some of them were up in the hot blazing. We're getting molded up here in the cold freezing north. It's the same difference. But he says that and they had to go out to these places through trials and persecutions and these things that we have today, there's nothing that's happened to us that hasn't happened to other Christians. Other Christians has had to stand in their hour of darkness like this and even be fed to the lions for their testimony. What a time that would have been in to live. Fox's Book of Martyrs records so many things that happened in atrocities that happened to Christians that they had to die just for their testimony. 
And oftentimes I've thought because that was just a fleshly, a fleshly thing and it really tormented the mind too, but how that might have been easier because then you could just say, well, if you just kill me, then it's over, then get it over with. Let's just do this. I'll just die for the Lord and we'll get it over with. But today they don't want to kill you. They want to torment you and torment you and torment you and torment you over and over again with no end in sight, so to speak. But Brother Ren says it's not something new that they haven't gone through before. It was a torment to them too. It was just as bad to them. They had to be fed. They had to face literal fears. So see, it, was, it had to be that way in a time like that for Jesus to come because it had to bring them to a certain place. They had to come under this taxation that in their own flesh they could have looked at it and said this is horrible, but it was God. And Brother Brown would actually record and he said, how many Pharisees at that time were cursing the Roman government in the name of the Lord? When it was the Lord causing these things to happen so that he could get a certain little couple down to Bethlehem for a certain purpose. Oh Lord, help us. And we don't think our burdens are so great that we want to curse some government or curse some something and say, how could they possibly do this? How could they possibly force these things to happen? When maybe it's for one individual to come to a certain place in their life that it's God working something to put it in a certain place so that somebody could receive what God has for them. Hallelujah. But because it was the Lord Jesus in the womb of Mary, she had a good attitude about it. And maybe as Brother Brown would tell the story, the donkey would stumble and, oh, are you okay, Mary? Maybe we should stop. Maybe we should go back home. She just, no, let's just go on. It's okay. Well, let's go on. This is the Lord doing these things. I don't understand it, but let's just go on. It's not for us, Brother Brown would say, to understand it. It's for us to just believe it, to take God at his word and believe that he's in control and not be worried about understanding it and understanding this or that, but rather to take God and say, Lord, you said it, I believe it. It's going to happen somehow and in some way, and it has to be for some kind of purpose because nothing happens without God knowing about it. Nothing can take place out of the control, outside of the control of God. The devil's not out there as a, as a loose dog, so to speak, or a loose lion running, running about. God knows exactly where he is, which is the reason I'm really happy I'm not going to be here in the tribulation, because at that time, then the devil will be going about as an unleashed dog. Because at that time, then the angel takes away his protection because the bride's gone. And then the devil has his own control. Thank the Lord I'm not going to be there. Oh, how happy we ought to be. And of course, if you're not sealed in, you ought to be very sorrowful and get yourself sealed in. It was in the darkest hour that Jesus came on this scene. 400 and some years of, of nothing. Fighting, infighting, the Romans come and took control, the Greeks had some control. This one conquered, that one conquered. All of these things, and now in a dark hour of taxation, and then now it seems like, are we even going to make it there? And we know the story. We could recount it. I guess this is a bit of a Christmas message where they went down and they got into Bethlehem and the inn was full. And it seemed like, what are we possibly going to do? And uh, let's turn around, let's leave, let's go somewhere else. Surely some of our friends here, our family, they ought to take us in. But everybody was full. Everybody had gone back there. The lineage of David was a huge lineage. Remember, he had 500 wives. Solomon had a thousand. It's a big lineage going on here. 
And they're all coming back to the city of David and everything's full. Nothing's had none. There's nowhere to have. Finally, they found just a stable. It's a dark hour. There's this, how is this possibly going to happen? But then Jesus came on the scene. Then there was Emmanuel was born and the angels came and the shepherds rushed in and there was a star that came up in the heavens and three men saw it. Way over two years journey away, a thousand miles or so, and they had to come on camelback. Two years journey all the way down to see Jesus. Why didn't everybody else see it? It was for three. Oh my, but that was when Jesus came. We could go back in the scripture, we could find even Brother Brandon Woods Preach's message is called Then Jesus Came. And we find that the three Hebrew children, it was in their darkest hour. He didn't come when they were just praying on the knees saying, Lord, protect us. We'll stand for you. Perhaps his presence was there, but Jesus didn't literally come down then. But then we find it. we waited until they were thrown right in the fire. Right till it seemed completely hopeless. Right when they were under a great burden to say, Lord, I guess this is the end. I guess this is it. The government really has no right to make me do this, but this is what they're doing. They've lifted us up into high places in the government, then turned their back on us and killed us. But then Jesus came on the scene, and Jesus delivered them. It was for Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't stop the conspiracy of the other wise men and all these things. He waited till he was thrown in the lion's den. Then Jesus came on the scene and closed the mouths of the lion. Hallelujah. It was also a hopeless time. The children of Israel in captivity, 400 years, praying, waiting. It seemed hopeless. They were there as slaves. They were making brick and mortar. They were doing everything they could do. But then God sent the deliverer. Then God came on the scene. He didn't come at the first person and go, you know, it'd be nice if I didn't have to do this. You know, it'd be nice if, you know, the Egyptians would be a little nicer to me. Yeah, we'll wait till you get desperate. Real desperate. Then Jesus came. When the whole world was under a great taxation, it was a burden to them. Think about it. Their entire routine of life was upset. He was a carpenter up in Nazareth. He had no business to go down to Bethlehem. He had work up in Nazareth. He was busy up there. Mary, she was getting ready for their wedding. She was an espoused wife, and she was getting ready for everything. And all of a sudden, their whole life gets turned upside down. You can't do what you do every day anymore. Y'all know where I'm going with this. You can't do what you can do every Christmas. This has got to be a different one. You can't do it the same way anymore. You can't get together the same way anymore. You can't do this anymore. It's all turned upside down. We're going to send you down to Bethlehem for seemingly just to go down there and tell us who you are. Something so simple. As a census for taxation purposes. What is a tax? A tax. A tax is an imposed burden. It's not something that's voluntary. It's imposed. And it's a burden. I know we all understand that very well in North America. It's a burden. We all get our taxes in tax season. We all look at our checks every time we get a paycheck. And we all go, oh man. I'd be rich if I made my gross. Then the government takes it all, and I got nothing. That's a burden. It's imposed. You don't have a choice. 
And those who think they have a choice, pretty soon they end up in court and they got to pay the taxes back anyways and it's back taxes and this is how, that's how. Why? Because it's imposed. It's a law. It's, you have to do these things. It's a task. It's a load of burdens. It's a charge. It's a censor. It's, but, but Brother Branham would say this. He says, it may be the darkest hour you've ever seen. He says, but remember, it's in the dark hour when he comes along. He says, when he comes, it brings new hope. It brings new hopes. When he comes, his presence brings hope. He says, oh, you will accept him as Savior. Just going to change gear a little bit now. Will you accept him as Savior, but never as Lord, or seldom as Lord. And that's really what the world celebrates in Christmas time. If they celebrate anything religiously, it's the Savior. It's the Messiah. And those things are absolutely wonderful. But he says, but do you accept him as Lord? Lord is ownership. It controls. He controls your emotions. He controls your faith. He controls your love. He controls your life. He's in full control of you and you walk in the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible said there is now therefore no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. In other words, there's a lordship of Christ that has taken control. You're no longer walking after the flesh. You're walking after a different control tower. When a man smites you in the face, he would say the lordship controls you. Oh my. When someone smites you in the face or when someone straps something onto your face and says, you got to do it, something else inside of you controls you. Well, that's what i got to do to come to the house of the Lord. So be it. The doctor says, I'm sorry, but the medical skill says to me that you must die. There's nothing can be done, but the Lordship of Christ controls you by his word. It says, by his stripes we are healed. Hey, man, we're certainly thankful for what the doctors could do, even for Brother Virgilio. They could take him and put him and, and, and help him out, but it wasn't that that was controlling him. He kept thanking. He said, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your prayers. I keep looking to the Lord. Why was this something inside saying, there's something on the inside. The Lord is my healer. By his stripes I'm healed. These things are all helps. I find it always amazing, you know, we sing that song, there's an army rising up. You know, when you find an army marching, sometimes you might step on someone's heel. Or you might hit someone with your shield. When it's just marching, maybe there's a little bit of complaint. I don't like the way brother so-and-so did this. I don't like the way. But when there comes to a battle, those same people that might bicker at each other once they get their shields together. <laughs> Are you with me? Isn't it amazing to be a part of a body of Christ? You say, oh, there's a little bicker here, a little bicker there. But when the battle comes... The same one that you might have had a little something with, you lock your shield together with. You say, brother, we're in this together. We're going to pray together. We're going to fight the battle together. Amen. That we're a part of a party that we can pray and lift up one another. Maybe when it's just marching all the time, seems good. We want everyone to be like us. And you be in step with me and I'm walking, you walk. No, no, but when the battle comes, you either stand together or you die. Amen. So I thank the Lord for the battle. He says, he opens the door. I say, here I stand at the door and give you faith over all these things. Then you ignore everything else. I want to go back in the story and realize that's what Mary did. At the creation of Jesus in her womb when the angel came and met her. 
she accepted him as Lord. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. Wasn't well, that just sounds nice, and we'll see if it happens. That's a nice story. No, she immediately subjected herself to realize that just the little fetus in her womb, she looked at that and said, it's Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Exactly. I'm not just bearing the Savior, but I'm bearing my Lord within me that I'm going to give birth one day to my Lord. What a great responsibility that she could look at it. No wonder she could go down under the burden of taxation and under the burden of something that was hugely unpopular. Everybody around her complaining and bickering. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But to her, she said, if this is what it takes... If this is what it takes, then I'll have to do it because it's my Lord and His Word must come to pass. It didn't matter the journey or don't make the journey, a hospital room or stable, rich or poor, carpenter or king, all the natural circumstances of life just dropped away because she took that confession of faith. The Brown says it's the greatest present that was ever given. Oh, of course, he says, you give your friends Christmas presents. He says, that's good. That's token. But brother, there's a present offered to you this morning that's no money could ever buy. Hey, man, I was working with a guy the other day, and he says, he says to me after finding out as a Christian, he says, just don't sell me your religion. I said, no problem. <laughs> he, says, oh. he said, most people are always trying to sell their religion to me. I said, no, no, I, no problem. You can have it for free. No charge. He says, well, you don't understand what I'm saying. I said, no, I get it, but I just want to let you know. It's, it's free. But it's a free gift from God. He says, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Would you receive him as your personal guide or as your personal savior, as your king, as your redeemer, as your king? He says he heals the soul and body. He takes the control room. Amen. There was something in Mary that took that control room. Something on the inside of her that she was just crying out, I got to go, I got to go. <laughs> Joseph might have said, you can just stay here. I'll just go down. I'll write on the census and we'll take care of it. You stay here and relax, honey. I'll be back soon. No, no, I got to go. Something on the inside, I got to go. It might be hard. It might not be. But there's something pushing me saying, I got to go. Maybe not recognizing that he was out of Bethlehem. I have to go to Bethlehem. He says, if you got fears and doubts, just let it go now. Let him be king. Let him come in and take over. Let him be Lord. Lord is ruler. Lordship is rulership. I just want to say this still applies. It still applies today. You say, you don't understand the fear from Brother Brown say to today. It's so much greater. No, he says the same formula still applies. Just let it go and welcome him in to be Lord. Let him take full control and all those things can just melt away. He says, oh, I believe I opened my heart years ago. He says, but has he ever come become your Lord? Completely control your emotions, your faith, and all. When you read the Bible, every word of it's the truth. When peace, when frustration comes, you got peace in your heart. Knowing if the atomic bombs would scatter this earth into bits tonight, that you would be gathered in Christ Jesus in glory. Oh, what a peace that way that is. And no matter what would happen, he said, well, I, I know I think so thankful I'm going to be gone before the atom, first atomic bomb is gone. Well, hey, even if it happens, I know where I'm going. Oh, what a peace. I don't need another shelter. I got the rock of ages. 
before the ashes ever settle on the earth. He says, have you that consolation? If you do not, I would like to give it to you. I'd like to introduce you to it. Lord, be merciful. To give him lordship of your heart. It gives him dominion. Authority and power over your entire being. That's what lordship means. To have lordship is to have dominion, to have power, and to have authority over a certain property. So if you give him lordship over your heart, you're giving him the dominion. You're giving him all the power. You're giving him the authority over your life. Say, this is nothing new. Good, then rejoice with me. He says, we like the Christmas story of the Messiah, the Savior, but to a Christian, it's much more. It's the Lord. It's my master has come to earth. The, the one by the new birth is given complete authority in my life. Hallelujah. That by a new birth, I've given him complete authority. I no longer have complete authority. Even the government no longer has complete authority. That they could say what they want, and I have to obey the law, but rather I could go before God, and he has authority. Amen. That he'll give me a way to follow that, but still to serve him Amen. fully and with all my life. To live by the word of God. It's given complete power over you. His spirit will make you do the things you would not do. His spirit will make you not do the things in their flesh you would do. So Paul says, when I would do good, evil is present with me. But I, I find there's something on the inside that keeps pushing me to do what's right. Amen. Amen. It's given complete power over you. It will make you turn your head from filthy evil. So Brother Panham says, it'll make you turn your head. You see that filthy dress? Well, it'll make you turn your head. Something, you just can't help it. You see something on a screen, and it makes you turn your head. You see something going on, it makes you. You can't help it. It just pushes you in that direction. Why? Because you've given something else, a lordship over your life, to have a power over your body where it's not just authority, where it speaks, and I should listen to that. That's the authority, but it's a literal power that forces you to do something. And when Satan knocks you down, it'll make you get back up again. Hallelujah. Even when you fall, even when you get tripped up, there's something on the inside that makes you stand up again. It makes you not get down and go, oh, that's it, I just give up now. But it's a different power. It's not my own will, not by my might, but by his spirit, saith the Lord. He says, you may say that I, I, don't, I don't know if I can do another year. Maybe somebody's feeling this way. I don't know who this is all for, but I'm not sure if I can put up with these restrictions any longer. Some of us feel that way. I don't know how much longer I can go on with this. Restrictions and mass and this and that. You do stream a service down in the States and they're just all together. And you're like, man, how much longer do I got to do this? But there's something on the inside that makes you go to church. It makes you get on your knees and pray. It makes you want to be with God. And when you give him lordship over your heart, you give him dominion over all your life. That means that he has the power to direct and control and use you according to his own pleasure. That's what dominion is. And how can I keep my thoughts only on Christ? How can I be so consumed? How can I have him consume my thoughts? It's simple. Just welcome him in as your Lord. 
open up every door to your heart, Brother Branham would say, open the door of pride. So well, I want him to have full control. I want to be my thoughts be focused on the word of God. But there's this little thing over here that I'm super happy about. I'm super proud of it. Just open that door to him and say, Lord, is this pleasing to you? Open the door, Brother Branham would say, of selfishness. Open the door of desire. Open the door of self-will. Open the door of your own future and say, Lord, I want to give you lordship. We go right down into the five senses of the mind, doors that we don't like to open sometimes. The doors of our memory. Say, Lord, this is yours. You have lordship over this. You control it as you would see fit. Give and open the door of your own conscience. Open the door of your reasoning. Open the door of your imagination. Lord, let my mind be imaginative of the things that you want me to imagine. You have dominion. You use it for your good pleasure. Allow him, first, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of the children of Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now he predestinated you so he could have dominion and work his own good pleasure. And what was his good pleasure? To bring you to adoption. To bring you into his likeness. To bring you to a place where he could say, this is my son. This is my son, and I'm proud of him, and I want to put a robe on him, and I want to dress him in robes of righteousness, and I want to give him a seal. This is my son. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. Very familiar to anyone that listens to the message regularly. That should be to all of you. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1. It says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of memory, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Oh my. It wasn't just in the cool of the evening. Oh, the nice times. No, it was in the heat of the day. He was watching. He was waiting at the heat of the day. At the time maybe when he should have been under the shade and should have been waiting. No, he was watching for something. He was expecting something. It was in the heat of the day and the hardest of time. He lifted up his eyes and looked and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground. And he said, my Lord. Now I want you just to catch that real quick. He didn't say, my God. My object of worship, my healer, the one who gave the promise, my hope. He addressed him by his relationship to him. He said, my Lord, the one who has dominion over my entire life to will and do as he pleases. He addressed him in that way, my Lord, you're the one. You're the one that's given me the strength. You're the one that's promised. You're the one that's going to fulfill the promise. You're the one that I've been waiting for. You're the reason I'm sitting out here in the heat of the day waiting for you. The Bible records against hope. He believed in hope. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4, actually verse 17. It says, as it is written... I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead, and calleth those things which were not as though they were. And it says, and who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. Now hope originates in desire. Why don't you catch that for a moment? Hope originates in desire. So against the desire of his body. He was 90 and 9 years old. 
against the desire of his body. He believed instead, or he had faith instead, in the desire to see the promise of God fulfilled. Against hope, he believed in hope. Against his own desire of his own flesh, saying, it's too late, it's too long gone. He instead took, there was something inside him that said, but, but, but i got to see the promise of God fulfilled. But God promised it. He needs to bring it to pass. Against hope, he believed it all. But against his own flesh, he believed the promise of God instead. It says that he might become the father of many nations, according to which was spoken, so shall I see be. And being not weak in faith... He might have been weak in flesh. I'm sure he was. Oh my, he might have been weak in spirit, but in faith. He said, no, I believe it with all my heart. He was probably still asking Sarah, you feel any different, honey? She said, no, I still feel old. But he wasn't looking at that. He was looking to God. He staggered not at the promise of God. Neither did he believe the deadness of Sarah's womb or that he was about 100 years old. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded. Oh my, that's lordship. That's real headship. When the word of God takes such a preeminence in your life that you are fully persuaded. That no matter what comes, God will bring his word to pass. That even the darkest of hours, at the worst of time for Abraham, it was the darkest of hours being 100 years old, Sarah 90 years old. There was nothing that the world could look at and say, yeah, they're going to have a baby. No, they said they're crazy. But that was when the Lord appeared to Abraham. Oh, he could have come to the plains of memory 10 years before that, 20 years, 30. He could have come a long time ago. But he waited till the darkest of hours. He waited till it got real bad, till Abraham got real desperate. Then he began to come on the scene. He just didn't just come to Abraham and just shake him up and say, Hey, listen, I'm your Lord. I'm the one you know. He just started walking by. And Abraham was so persuaded. Abraham was so busy looking at that promise. He said, That looks familiar. That looks like the Melchizedek. That looks like the one I met before, and I paid tithes to that one. The other two weren't there before. Those must be his servants. So there's one that I'm looking for. We know how the story goes, right? Lot, when they came down to Lot, he said, my Lord's denominational. He got down there into a, a trinity. He said, oh, there's a father, there's the son, the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit around them, right? My Lord's. No, no, Abraham looked at three and he said, I got one. Because there was one that he recognized. He didn't have an experience with three. He had an experience with one. He met him before. He'd gone and met the king of Salem. He'd made paid tithes to Melchizedek. He knew it was one. So when three came, he said, my Lord, I gave one preeminence. I gave one the lordship over my heart. I gave one there my everything. And he's the one that made the promise. Hallelujah. It was one that spoke to me and said, I'll make a covenant with you. He didn't say, we'll make a covenant. I'll make a covenant with you. Hallelujah. It was a hopeless case. The doctor's given up. Even Sarah laughed within herself. Though, think. Oh, my. Sarah, I'm sure, was saying, oh, we tried. It's too late now. But then the Lord came.
Hallelujah. You might be able to look at it tonight, this morning, and say, I tried everything, Brother Andrew. I believe we've been prayed for this, we've prayed for that. I tried everything to bring it to pass. There's nothing, there's no hope in the world. You're exactly right. The only hope is in him. So when it finally gets to that place that you're come to the end of the road, it's the darkest hour, there's no hope. There's no way I'm going to have to live with this my entire life. That's when Jesus comes on the scene. Hallelujah. Think about John chapter 3. Once again, familiar scripture to us, verse 15 says, Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh my, the world loves this scripture looking back to a baby. Say, yeah, we believe the baby, but they forget that this is Jesus Christ. The entire word is the, the description. It is his character. It is who he is. It is his love. I say, this is who I am. Whosoever believeth on me, I came to save them. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. While the world, listen, while the world was under a great burden, God brought about the beginning of his new creation. Now we're getting into the actual message. While, while they were on the... On the the world was under a burden of taxation. They were doing something that they didn't want to do, but it was pushed on them. It was forced on them. They didn't have a choice. Then God brought about the beginning of his new creation. He brought about Jesus Christ. Then Jesus came on the scene. Then I would say in the church age book, he says, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Laodicean church age. He says, that is who the Lord Jesus says he is. The beginning of the creation of God. But those words don't exactly mean as they sound to us. Just taking them the way they sound was made them people. In fact, multitudes of people get the idea that Jesus was the first creation of God, making him lower than Godhead. He said, then, we know, that we know the true thing. We've read the church age book. But he says, then, this first creation created all the rest of the universe and whatever, whatsoever contains me. He says, but that's not right. You know that that doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible. The words, he is the beginning or the author. Of the creation of God. Now, we know for a surety that Jesus is God. The very God. He's the creator. John 1, 3, right? All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He is the one to whom it is said in Genesis 1, 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It says in Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea, and all that was in them on all that in them is and rested on the seventh day. See, there, there is no doubt that he is the creator. He was the creator of a finished physical creation. That was the first creation. But surely we can see that the, what these words mean now, that we have uh, the, to have any other interpretation would mean that God created God. So how could God be created when he himself is the creator? Let me just go on a little bit, so just stay with me. He says, but now, he's standing in the midst of the church. As he stands there revealing who he is in this last age, he calls himself the author of the creation of God. This is another creation. So, Andrew, you might have gone a, a real roundabout way to get to this. I have gone a real roundabout way to get to this. I hear Jesus come in the womb of Mary. On the donkey, down to Bethlehem, under a time of great taxation, under a great burden. 
the beginning or the author of creation, the new creation came. He says, the author of the creation of God, he says, this is another creation. This has to do with the church. This is a special designation of himself. Hallelujah. That's lordship. It's not a designation of us and him and this one. No, it's a special designation of himself. He's the creator of that church. Hmm. We love to have him as Savior, don't we? But it doesn't say he's the Savior of that church. He's the creator. It's deeper than just saving. It's deeper than just he's a Messiah. No, he's the creator. The heavenly bridegroom created his own bride. As the Spirit of God, he came down and created in the Virgin Mary the cells from which his body was born. I want to repeat that. He says he created the very cells in the womb of Mary for that body. It was not enough for the Holy Spirit to simply give life to a human ovum supplied by Mary. That, that, would, be, that would have been sinful mankind producing a body that would not have been produced the last Adam of him. It was said, lo, the body hast thou, Father, prepared for me. God, not Mary, provided the body. And what's he saying? He said, this creation, he's laying out the foundation or the blueprint for the church. That he's saying that he's created, he's the beginning. It's not that he's going to start this creation in some other way. He's going to do it the rest of the way different. God doesn't change. He's creating this, this new creation in Adam. He had to do it. He had to create the body. He had to create the blood. He had to create the life. It was nothing to do with Mary. She was just a human incubator. And she carried the holy child and brought him to birth. But it was God-man. He was the Son of God. He was the new creation. Man and God met and joined. He was the first of this new race. He is the head of this new race. Colossians 1.18 says, He that is born of the church, he is that is born of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I guess that all happened... Well, the world was under great taxation. The world was so busily distracted by a burden that was imposed upon them that they were missing what was going on. There was but a few people. Three of them had to come from a long ways away and just a few shepherds out there in the field doing nothing but tending the sheep. It was at nighttime. They were just sleeping with the sheep, and the angels came down. We saw the video of some, some rendition of how it was, but they came down. What was it? Just a few people caught it because the world was so caught up in some global problem. And while the world is once again under a great burden, we're once again caught up in a global problem like never before. It was never before that also every nation in the world began to say, yep, we're going to do this. We're going to do the same thing, 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 all the way down. We're going to all impose this mask. We're going to all impose this uh, isolation and shut down this and shut down that. Everybody, all globally, everybody's caught up in it. The news is just infiltrated by it. 
can hardly read anything else. It's just all that there is in the news and all that there is. You got, like, even try and go on a sports, sporting website. And a, this one got fined for COVID problems. And that one got fined for this. And that one got, it's like, everything is infiltrated. They're caught up in a global problem. Distracted. Under that kind of a burden, God is finishing his new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As I said, listen, it's not that God's going to do it this way with the beginning and differently at the end. No, he's going to keep it the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot change. So if he had to create that body, he's got to create a new body. Hallelujah. He has to fulfill his works. There you can see that though man was of the old order of creation, now in union with Christ, he has become a new creation of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in union with Christ Jesus, unto good works. How is that under his lordship he works the good pleasure of his own will? Oh my, he says that, that which, which in Ephesians 2 verse 24 says that he, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So how can I give him lordship? Starts down in the heart. But the man would actually say it starts at the cross. It just starts right there. It starts with Savior. It starts with his blood. It begins to keep working and keep working until beginning. He begins to have a lordship over your soul, the nature of your spirit. Amen. You with me? That's the nature of your spirit that he has. That, and now he begins to work his way out. That if he has lordship of your soul, of your faith, then he begins to have lordship of your spirit. And if he's got lordship of that, which is Romans 8, where it says that if the same spirit that dwells in Christ dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal body. So this flesh will now bring this flesh into line with his lordship. So that you are literally a new creation in Christ Jesus. So it has to bring about a new body. Amen. See, when's that new body? Just any day now. My Lord is coming. Hallelujah. No longer is he dealing in the ways of the flesh. That was how he dealt with Israel. He chose Abraham. And of Abraham's issue through the godly Isaac line. And now out of every kindred, tribe, and nation, there was a time when he dealt with, with, with the flesh. He dealt with Abraham. It was literal in the flesh. And then he dealt with Isaac. And then he dealt with Jacob and all these ones down through that lineage. But now he says it's not just from that certain lineage. Oh, my, another place I was listening. He says, you, when you've become circumcised, when you become born again, and the Lord Jesus Christ separates you out, you're more Jew than an Orthodox Jew. Hallelujah. Why? Because a Jew is a called out, a separated one. So you, by the Holy Spirit, are called out and separated on him spiritually, a Jew unto Christ. But now it comes from every nation, tribe, kindred, tongue. He purposes, purposed a new creation. 
He is the first of that creation. He was God created in the form of man. Now by his spirit, he's creating many sons unto himself. Oh, we heard it last Sunday morning. We just need to ripen. If we just lay in the presence of the sun. If we just get out in the heat of the sun like those prophets and sages who in hot, blazing, sunny deserts had to ripen, had to come to that place. If we just spiritually, because this isn't a natural sea anymore, but rather spiritually, if we get out spiritually in the desert where we're just looking at one thing. You know, that's the way it is in a, in a natural desert. There's one thing you want in a desert. It's called water. If you're stuck out there in the middle of the Sahara, there's one thing you're searching for. It's water. As long as you got water, you're okay. Everything else, you say, well, I need a friend. Well, that'd be nice, but it's not necessary. Well, I, I, I need some food. Yeah, the food's good too, but you can go a long time without food. But without water, you got but a few days. It's the same way in a spiritual desert. If you just get out there and realize I only need one thing. It doesn't matter if, if the, my buddy next to me is believing what I'm believing. It doesn't matter if someone else is, is, is looking the way I'm looking. It doesn't matter if someone else is saying something. But rather, Lord, I need water. I need to be washed by the water of the word. And that's all I need. If we just ripen in that way and stay in the presence of the Holy Spirit, stay in the word that way, let him bake on all the greenness. He's bringing sons unto himself. God was creator, creating himself as part of his creation. Oh my, this is a true revelation of God. This was his purpose. This purpose took form through election. Oh my, that is why he would look right down to the last age when all that would be over and see himself still in the midst of the church as author of his new creation of God. His sovereign power brought it to pass. Oh my, glad you said it right at the beginning of the service. It's just his grace. We're just called by his grace. We're just elected by his grace. His sovereign power bring it to pass. That's what Abraham was realizing. He's the father of our faith that he recognized, God, there's nothing I can do to have a child now. There is literally nothing. It's only going to be by the grace of God. That's when God came on the scene. When we realize there's literally no way that we are going to overcome, but by the grace of God. There's no way that we are going to come and be a part of his bride, but by the election, but by the grace of God. It's the only way it can take place. His sovereign power brought it to pass. By his own decree, he elected the members of the new creation. He predestinated them to the adoption of children according to his, the good pleasure of his will. By him, his omniscience and omnipotence, he brought it to pass. We just need to often remind ourselves of these things. As soon as we get built up in ourselves, thinking, all right, we've got this under control now. No, he brought it to pass. He chose. He did every bit of it by himself. And we are just his choosing. How else could he know that he would be standing in the midst of the church receiving glory from his brethren if he didn't make sure of it? All things he knew, all things he worked out according to what he knew in order that his purpose and his good pleasure would be brought to pass. Ephesians 1.11 says, To whom also we have obtained an inheritance, having predestinated us according to the purpose of him who worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will. Oh, and he finishes that segment in the church age book. says, aren't you so glad you belong to him? 
Oh, I'm so glad I belong to Jesus. How else could I do it but just by saying, Lord, I surrender completely. You have the lordship in my heart. Take control of all my, my pride, my desire, my own self-will. Take control of my imagination. Take control of my memory. May I only remember the things you want me to. Take control of my affections. Hallelujah. Take control of my body. So even when I had my flesh says, oh, I want to look, something can't look. Even when my flesh says, I want to stay in bed Sunday morning, it says, get up. Even when I don't feel like going to church on Wednesday night, something says, I got to be there. I say, but I'm busy, but the church is full. There's only 88 people allowed. It's New Year's Eve, and I can't all be there, but I'm going to plug in anyways because something in me wants to worship. Hallelujah. Now you really got no choice. Hallelujah. Oh, my. Got a few more minutes. Oh, amen. There was a ton of amens that came in online. You just didn't hear them. Neither did I. Oh, my. Just like the original creation, God never changes his way. We've quoted it again and again, Hebrews 13.8. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Hallelujah. I just had a very senior brother tell me this qualifies as a Christmas message. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, let's turn there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, as we read in the church age book, Brother Branham says, This is talking about Jesus. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's who that's referring to. It says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. If you ever want to know how God's working today, you've got to go back into the types and shadows. He said, but this is creation, brother. This is types and shadows. Oh, absolutely. This is the first creation. Now there's a new creation. God doesn't change his way of working. So they begin to work and they begin to be without form and void. I was thinking, Brother Brown begins to tell a story of a businessman that says, he says, you know, the, the worst mistake people ever made in the first church was they brought the stuff and they combined it all together. A businessman was telling Brother Brown this. They brought it because then, you know, when they sold everything and they brought all their money, then when there was division in the church, they had nowhere to go. And Brother Brown says, Praise the Lord, that was exactly what God intended. Why? Because then they had nowhere to go. They had to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth, which was exactly what he wanted them to do. Praise be to God. So it says that even when it was seemed like it was chaos in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth it was it was void and it was chaotic and it was darkness, and they were just going about all over the place. Just like the new creation. There was a new creation and there was God. The Spirit was moving upon them. God was moving upon them in the book of Acts. And they begin to bring everything in. They begin to accumulate everything together. And then division comes and it began chaos. And this was going that way and that was going that way. And that was going that God's going exactly what I want. Take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Because the Spirit of God was moving upon his new creation. 
But in the first creation, it says now in Genesis chapter 1, Brother Branham says that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. See? God, let me go back and jump out of the quote for a second so you don't think I'm saying Brother Branham said this, but, but God under a great burden of fellowship. I want you to understand this. God began to come under a burden of fellowship. He was alone with his thoughts. Before there was anything ever created, God was alone with his thoughts, and he began to desire to have those thoughts become manifested. He began to have a desire that those attributes would become manifested, sons and daughters. So how did he do it? The burden come forth that he began to speak. And said, so let there be, and there was a heavens and earth were created. But he says it was darkness and it was void and all these things. There was a great desire of God. But we realize that the water, the Bible said back into the quote now, it says in the beginning back there that this world was without form and it was void. There was nothing, just darkness and chaos. There was a horrible shape. It must have been in. My goodness. Nothing but way into the darkness yonder without light or anything and the churning of the water and wandering star just twisting around and round orbits out of nowhere. Orbits out there somewhere, he says, it must have been a terrific mass of something lost like it was, couldn't find its way. But that's what we become when we become wandering stars away from God, just without hope, without God, without just turning around in darkness, not knowing where we're going. But in this great chaos, in this great darkness, turning around, they're spun out. Brother Brown, we're talking about the Logos come out. What was it? It wasn't that God created God, but rather that it was a part of God spun out from himself. It was a light that come forth, and it began to come out, and the Spirit of God, the Logos, began to move upon the face of the waters. And it began to move, it began to, Brother Brown would say, it began to brood. If you're going to brood over something, oh my, brood, which is to carefully bring something to maturity. It wasn't by half and chance, it was carefully, he was molding this chaos this darkness into a place where it could bring forth maturity. A part of himself, the beginning of the creation of God. Brother Brennan would use that word brood, and it culminated in the creation of man in his likeness. All that brooding brought forth. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be, and he divided the water from the land, and he took and he put the seed in there for the trees, and he took and he put the life in the water. He took and he put the fowls in the air. What was it? God carefully brooding the whole time. The Spirit of God moving over it. It began to take shape. It began to come to understanding. It began to come from just a, a void, a darkness, ice ball floating off somewhere. It began to come right into the habitable zone. It began to come right in where life could begin to exist. And God, it was the Spirit of God brooding over it. Oh my. What's been happening through seven church ages? God's been brooding over his church. He's been brooding over his church. He's been bringing it exactly to the place where he wants it to be. It began to start out with just a little bit of revelation at the beginning. It began to come to just a little bit more revelation. It began to come just a little bit more. And it come right down into the darkest of time. Then God spoke to there would be light and there come a Luther. And they began to realize some light began to come forth that the just shall live by faith. That it was just a little glimpse of light. But in that little glimpse of light, it began to take shape. It began to take form. They become a church. They begin to come out of that dark whore. And now they're coming. They're coming a greater light in it through Wesley. But when God wasn't done yet, he just kept brooding and kept brooding and kept brooding over his new creation to bring it to perfection so that finally there would come a place where they could be a man in his own image. Are you with me? 
Oh, that ought to make you super happy. That God would come and keep brooding until finally there would be a man that would come in his own likeness and it would come to maturity that the sons of God would begin to manifest themselves under a mature word of God. And they would come into the very image that God saw before the foundation of the world that said, that's exactly that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That's the world that I created in the first creation. Now it's come right back to that original seed again. That's exactly what I had in my mind. How did it happen? And not just by happen chance, but because the Spirit of God keeps brooding over us. Hallelujah. God in that great chaos of darkness and transformed it into a garden of Eden. See? By his word. Hallelujah. How's he doing this new creation? How's he taking this from great chaos of darkness into a great garden back to the original? He's doing it by his word. He never changes his tactics. Oh, praise be to God. While the world was under great, it was under great burden in the end of his first creation. It was. The Bible records it in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 5. We'll just back it up a little bit and then we'll close. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, And every plant in the field before it was on the, in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist out of the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. Now think about how this was happening, that there was all the seeds that God had spoken, and all the seeds were in the ground, and now the earth was under a burden to bring forth life. Out of the seed it was to, to bring forth or to manifest that every seed would bring forth of its kind. And it was in this time that God then spoke in verse 7 and said, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Then there was someone there to have dominion over this creation. Hallelujah. Notice it says this, Brother Branham says this in the message, souls that are in prison now. He says, now the soul of man is not the body of man, it's the soul. He says the soul is something that's the nature of the spirit. Then when the nature of a man, he said, he, we are dead. He said, but the scripture plainly tells us we are dead and our lives are hid in God through Christ. Sealed there by the Holy Spirit. Now, it wasn't that your body died. It wasn't that your spirit died. It was the nature of your spirit died. See, that's how that old creation has to die. It wasn't your body or your spirit. It was the nature of the spirit. See, the nature which is the soul. The nature of your soul is God. If you're born again, he said, if it's not, if you're not born again, then the nature of your soul is of the world. Anything that begin has to end. So therefore, the only way you can have eternal life is to have the life that never did begin. Hallelujah. And then your life did begin when you were born. But when God breathed the breath of life into your nostrils, oh, it sounds exactly like Genesis chapter 2. Exactly like at the end of the, of the original creation is exactly the way it is at the end of the second creation or the new creation where now he breathes the breath of life into the nostrils of sons and daughters of God. And he says that when that happens, you become a living soul and then you begin then. Hallelujah. That's when you begin. Everything else before that, justified. As though you never did in the first place. That old man is wiped off the record. The blood of Jesus Christ covers it over. Then you begin at that point. That nature that's in you, by nature, you was of the world. Alienated from God. You were actually an animal. 
Oh, man. That's exactly right. Anyone knows that we are mammal, but how many knows that? We are mammal. We are warm-blooded animals. He says, but that, but that is what we are by earthly creation. But you see, that what made us different from other mammals is God put a soul upon us. God gave our spirits a nature so that we could have a right to choose. And other mammals don't have to wear clothes. No other animal has to wear clothes to hide their shame but us. We're the only ones that does it because we have a soul. Hallelujah. No wonder we could say what's on the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside. Why? Because that's where it comes from. It's from the soul. But now it says, God in the beginning knew that of what a man would be like. And he created the earth. And he brought up all kinds of animals from the very lowest to the highest. He says, and then first man was made. He was a spirit man in the image of God. Oh my which God is a spirit. St. John 4, right? We know that, that God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth because he is a spirit. See, but there was no man to till the soil, and then God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Let me just close with a quick thought here. What's happening right now? He says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. So it's not just that there's people that he's created to be a part of a new creation, but there's literally a place that he's gone to prepare. That in, Gen- in Revelation 21, uh, I believe it is, he says, And I saw a new Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband, right? Amen. That he's gone to prepare a place. He's gone to prepare a creation. Just like in the first creation where he created all these things. He brooded and he spoke and he spoke. And he made man as a spirit. But then when he was ready to bring that creation to life, then he gave man a body to have dominion over it. Hallelujah. So he's gone to prepare a place for us, and he's created you a spirit being in his likeness. But one day when he's ready to bring that kingdom back, we're going to have a body that is able to be in that kingdom. The fullness, just like in the new first creation, the second creation. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Isn't God good to give us so many blessings? Undeserving, that's what we are. But by His grace, oh, by election, God purposed that He knew there'll be a people, there'll be ones that will stand, there'll be ones that will give me the glory. Are you one of them? I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. Let's sing that song together. I'm I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them.
His power is yet the same. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say things aren't new Just we've studied the message for years and years we've read the church age book in and out and forwards and backwards and preached on over and over but there's something about it that just stays so fresh it just stays so good when you begin to realize over again you begin to remind yourself God is in full control my job is to say my Lord who came to me the Lord came to me He's Jehovah. He's God dwelling with his family. Absolutely. He's Elohim. Absolutely. He's God. He's all, he's, he's all of these. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. But to me, like Sarah, when she had the right attitude, she called Abraham Lord. Like the bride of Christ, when she's come to the right attitude to recognize who she is, what will be her relationship? My Lord. Amen. Be it unto me according to thy word. Exactly as you will, whatever the circumstance, no matter what the world is globally distracted by, I'm looking to one promise that he will bring it to pass Amen. in a time such as this. Oh, hallelujah. Maybe we just sing one of my favorite songs before I turn it over. Behold, he comes. Amen. These are the days of Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. Serve. 